good to be here. Five weeks. Five weeks. I don't think I've had a break for five weeks in this corporate for seven years. Um, it's been about 40 days, I think, that, um, that I haven't preached for. So if I'm a bit rusty, please give me some grace because I, uh, I'm sort of lost at the moment. Um, I just want to thank the men who have filled this position and have given us and fed you all with God's word. Um, I am blessed by them and I'm sure you have been blessed by them and their uh, diligent work in God's word. Um, we have such, we have so many things to be thankful for in this church and the fact that um, when I've, while I've been away and while I've been away especially from here, um, God has shown me some amazing things and the difficult time I went through um, has only brought me closer to him and I hope that I've got some renewed zeal um, and um, I'm able to uh, excite you about the things of God as I share God's word with you because I'm excited. Uh, when I look it, I'm not sleeping at the moment, so I need your, your prayers for that. My body has decided to, that sleeping time is five o'clock in the morning, regardless of what time I go to bed. For the last few nights, I've been falling asleep at five. So if I'm a little bit dazed, it's, we'll put it down to that, okay? It's not because of anything else. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. I'm continuing our, our look at the Sermon on the Mount. And we've reached a stage or a passage that speaks about something that... Um, very few people are actually aware of or understand. And it's about fasting. Let's, let's read this together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou may appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word. We thank you that we can rely on each and every syllable in it. We thank you, Father, that we have this place we can meet in this way. And I pray now that as I share this word with my brothers and sisters here, that your spirit will be working on our hearts that our hearts will be completely open to your word, that we might take it into our lives and we might be transformed by it. Father, we know your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to divide asunder between the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And I pray this morning that that sword would pierce our hearts, that that sword would reveal to us what we have in there. And I pray that we would give it and offer it all up to you, that our hearts might be completely yours, that our lives might be completely yours and that everything we do might glorify the one who gave himself for us. We thank you once again for this time. We pray that he would be glorified in this message and in our thoughts today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> there isn't much good on TV these days. Have you noticed that? It's a lot of rubbish and a lot of um, stuff that sort of will, will try and influence you one way or the other. There's only a few shows that we tend to watch at home and sometimes we watch these, you know, these American pickers and... Have you seen that show, American pickers? 
And I think there's one called came out and it's American Diggers, which we've watched a couple of episodes of. And oh, I admire those guys. I mean, they go out in the middle of nowhere and they and their job is to find treasure in the midst of junk or to find treasure that's been buried underground for many years. The, American, the, the diggers one, they literally go to knock on people's homes up and down the street in an area that they think has historical value. And they, if they, they knock on the home, they ask the person, can we start digging up your backyard? Just out of the blue. And most people say, no, no, don't, come, don't touch my backyard. But occasionally people will say, all right, you can come and dig. And because the idea is if they find treasure in, your ba- in the backyard, they share the profits with them. Okay, so they'll dig for no reason, or I mean, they'll dig for a reason, but they dig for no, no charge, and if they find something, they split, the, they split the actual profits. And occasionally they'll be digging and working, and they'll get mud all over themselves, and they fall into all these, you know, all these, uh, these situations, and they've got to try and work out ways to get things out of the ground or underwater or something like that. And so they put all this effort in, and they don't know what's under there. They don't know what's under but they continue to do it because they're looking for a prize, they're looking for something. And occasionally, they'll find something which absolutely amazes them. Same thing with American pickers. They'll be going through junk and everything, and occasionally they'll find something that has incredible value in this world anyway. I admire people like that. I mean, they do it for a job. Have you thought of mountain climbers? Why do, I mean, these guys understand they're looking for things that, are, that are, have intrinsic value to them in society, but why does someone climb a mountain? I admire people who can climb and hold themselves up with two fingers off those rocks. I'd never contemplate trying that. But they can do that just to reach the top. And once they've reached the top of that mountain, what do they get when they're up there? Just satisfaction, I suppose, of getting the actual thing done and saying, I've completed it. Well, today's today's sermon is a bit like that. Fasting. Exciting. It doesn't stir the heart normally when you speak about things like fasting. But today I want you to understand, I'm hoping by the end of it, that you'll understand what fasting is really like and what it's there for. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 9. As I share something with you this morning that I hope you'll take away and think about a bit more. Before I, before I read this passage to you, I want you to understand something. There are only three times in the Bible where men are said to have fasted for 40 days. Three times. With three different individuals. One, we all know, was Jesus. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights after he was baptised before he began his ministry. The other one, who didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, was Moses who went up the mountain to get the the law of God and spend time with him on that mountain. And the final one is this one, Elijah, who with one meal walked for 40 days to get to a mountain. Okay? Read with me with with chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, let me give you a bit of a background. Sorry? So, 1 Kings chapter 19. So I say verse 19? Yeah. No, no. I told you, I'm still asleep. Just correct me if I, if I make any mistakes, okay? 
First Kings chapter 19. Now, let me give you a bit of a background first. Elijah had come against the prophets of Baal. They had taken over the religious system in Israel. There was a wicked queen that was in charge and there was a challenge that was made. And Elijah had beaten all the prophets and priests of, of Baal and had, had, had a huge victory. God had literally sent down fire from the sky to consume a sacrifice by himself. He was against all these, other, all these other men who also prayed to their God, but nothing happened. Now, he had come off a great victory. He'd done something absolutely extraordinary for God. And look what, he, look what happened straight after that. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I, might, I may make not thy life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you like you killed the, our prophets, our priests. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He ran and came to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he went, he was running at this point, and came down and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Look at that. He'd just done an extraordinary thing for God, but then he just wanted to die. He said, God, just, just take me now, please. I can't put up with this thing anymore. I'm not, he realised at that point he wasn't any better than his fathers and the people who came before him, even though he, God had done something extraordinary through him. And he lay, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drank and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. And he came thither unto the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, and he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entry in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? We'll stop there. God revealed himself to Elijah. Notice something interesting between what happened to Elijah and what happened to Moses. Moses asked, said to God, show me who you are. The Bible says that God showed Moses just his back, and he, just for a fleeting moment. And here Elijah, Elijah finds himself on a mountain, 
because he's jealous. He's jealous for God. And he's broken hearted because God's people have abandoned him. God reveals himself to, Moses, to, uh, to Elijah as well. This is a bit like fasting. There is great effort in going up a mountain. There is great effort. And sometimes you don't know what you're going to get when you get up there. But the greatest prize of all, and I'll reveal this to you later on, is the reward that God gives for those who diligently seek him. When was the last time you fasted? Have a think about that for a moment. When was the last time you fasted? The answer to that question probably reveals your attitude toward fasting. Or maybe your understanding about it. When was the last time you heard a sermon about fasting? Can you remember it? Last sermon about fasting? No. Does the topic excite you this morning? Do you get excited when you hear about fasting? I know, listen, when, you, when we talk about, when someone, when we hear, uh, sorry, sermons about um, the end times, we get excited. Maybe when we hear about holiness and living a godly life, we might get excited. When we hear the gospel message and the, and the wonderful news of how people share the gospel, maybe we might get excited. But fasting? People generally don't get excited about that topic today. Fasting must be one of the least preached topics in the churches today. And few people actually understand what it's even there for. And to be honest with you, I've struggled with this message. When I started preparing for this message a few weeks ago, because I've had some extra time on my hands, and I'd come to this place, I said, Lord, how am I going to make this interesting? How am I going to get you to see or be interested enough to actually take this in? Because sometimes I know some topics that we preach aren't interesting at all. They might not seem interesting to you. And I might be able to not be able to actually keep your attention for the whole time that I'm preaching. And I said, I said, Lord, how am I going to get them to appreciate fasting? So I dug and I prayed. And the Lord revealed something interesting to me. And the more he revealed, the more I dug. The more I dug, the more he revealed. So what I'm hoping is by the end of this message that you will go away from this place challenged with a greater understanding about what fasting is all about, but also to understand that all of God's word is exciting. There is a great treasure there. The more you dig, the more you will find. Just like those American diggers. Sometimes you don't know what will come up. But without the effort, without trying... You will never find out. You may be walking over a piece of gold under your feet every day without realising it's there. It takes effort. And I hope you're blessed by this message today. Now, I want you to understand something. Go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And the first thing I want you to understand about fasting is that Jesus expects us to fast. There is no if, ands, or buts. It's not, it's not an alternative that you might do to prayer or anything else. You will notice it starts off with these words. Moreover, when you fast, not if you fast, not maybe, 
It says, when you fast. So what does that tell you about the Lord's expectation of his people? The expectation is that they will fast. The assumption is that, that the assumption that Jesus makes is that every believer will fast in their walk with him. So we must also assume that if he was saying it then, then that's the expectation of us now. But yet how many of us have actually fasted? How often do we fast? Because I don't find any Christians talking about fasting to me. Or very, very, very few who would fast. Why is it? Why is it such a neglected thing in God's word? And we know the Lord wants us to pray every day. We know that. We know the Lord wants us to read his word every day. We know that God wants us to be in church every week. But fast? What do we know about that? Yet the Lord expects his people to fast. I believe that's because there is substantial lack of understanding about what fasting is all about. An interesting thing you'll note here is that the passage directly before this topic is about prayer. Remember, he's talked talk to us about the Lord's Prayer. And it was another warning that came with that as well. When you pray, don't do like the hypocrites. And before that, it was about giving, about alms. When you give, don't be like the hypocrites. And now we have this same thing. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. And it comes straight after prayer. And the reason it comes straight after prayer is that in Scripture, prayer and fasting are often linked together. They're like two sides of a coin. And you think, how does, that, how does that work out? Let's look at a few examples. Psalm chapter 35, verse 13. Psalm 35, 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. Now that, that typifies mourning. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. So we see fasting has to do with humbling yourself before God. But you will notice there is fasting and there is prayer that's associated with the fasting. I won't get you to turn these other two, but just listen as I read them out. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Daniel says, as his heart is broken for his own people and the fact that they're in bondage under the Babylonians, Daniel says, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Once again, his heart's broken and he goes to the Lord with prayer and fasting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. And this is New Testament, not Old Testament now. Paul says, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. This is speaking about husbands and wives, okay? Husbands and wives together. He's saying, don't stay together, be together. And he goes, and if you have to separate from each other for a little while. And that doesn't mean separate and live in different homes. Right? It means don't have marital relations for a particular time. And he goes, why? That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Interesting. 
Fasting is mentioned over 20 times, possibly 30 times and more in the Bible, and is performed by almost every godly man in the Bible. It doesn't mention uh, women, but we have Moses, Elijah, Daniel, the apostles, and a number of other people who fasted, groups of people who fasted, whole nations that fasted. We even have Israel who fasted, and we'll look at that as an example, and even pagan nations that fasted. When God's judgment was about to come upon the Ninevites, when, when God sent, remember the prophet, Jonah, the reluctant prophet who didn't want to go to the Ninevites because he hated them so much. When, he's, when he went to the Ninevites, he said, yet 40 days and God will destroy Nineveh. So what did the, the Ninevites do? Actually, the word got to the king, the Bible says, and he made everyone stand in ashes or sit in ashes with wearing sackcloth, fasting and praying. And God's wrath was turned away. So we see this very, as a very common topic in the Bible. And there's different types of fasts. There's a short fast. For instance, in Judges chapter 20, verse 26, the Israelites had been defeated. And they wanted to come before the Lord and say, Lord, why were we defeated? They didn't understand why. So what the Bible says is that they fasted for a whole day and prayed before him one day. Then it's a long fast. The Bible says that we have these examples of Moses, Elijah and Jesus who fasted for 40 days. And these were complete fasts. In other words, they ate absolutely nothing for 40 days straight. It's hard going, isn't it? There's a bit of a difference between a 40 day and a one day fast. Now, I want you to keep in mind that those three individuals are the only ones the Bible says fasted for 40 days straight each. And she specifies 40 days and 40 nights, which is, for me, amazing. But you'll hear about a few other things in a minute. And then there's a partial fast, where the prophet Daniel partially fasted for three weeks. Now, what did he fast from? It says in Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, if you want to write that one down, it says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Daniel actually, Daniel's fasting in this case was eating like maybe something as, as, as simple as not, not special bread, but something that was very, very basic. He gave up all the, the nice food that he had. Remember, Daniel was in a very high position. He would have had access to wonderful food. So there's no one way to fast. And I think people struggle with that idea. They struggle with the idea, well, how do I fast? Do I fast for a day? Do I fast for 40 days? Do I fast for 20 days? What do I do? Do I make it a full fast? Do I make it a partial fast? Well, there's no easy answer to that, you see. Just as prayer has no simple formula either, you see. When the, Bible, when the Lord Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, let me ask you a question. Was it to be repeated over and over and over and over again? No. We know that. We know it wasn't to repeat over and over again because when you do something like that by rote, you really lose the whole meaning of the prayer. And said Jesus gave us the pattern in which to pray. He gave us an order, a structure, and the types of things to pray for. He showed us in that prayer how we're meant to come before God. 
which is to humble ourselves and actually lift him up first. And then he, he goes through our necessities. He prays through those. And then at the end of that prayer, he lifts up God again and humbles himself again. There's no simple way to pray, is there? Prayer is something that we struggle with as Christians. In fact, the disciples struggled with praying. And they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They would have heard him pray out loud. And they said, oh, look how beautifully he prays to God. Teach us how to pray like that. And prayer is something that's learned. Something you grapple with, you struggle with. Sometimes I hear some of you who are scared to pray. Who are frightened to pray in a group. And I understand that. I understand it's scary sometimes to, to, to speak out loud. Communication with God before he's trying. In front of men that you might think, oh, that person prays, you know, really well. And you might think, he might judge me the way I pray. But God doesn't judge in that way and neither should, should man judge in that way because God sees past the words and the eloquence of words and sees the heart. And even the simplest prayers that come out of a person's mouth, whether they be two words or ten words or a thousand words, God understands and God accepts. So, prayer, so fasting is like prayer. How do you do it? There's no simple way. But are we expected to do it? Yes. Are we all going to do it the same? No. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart with regard to this particular thing. Now, there are a number of reasons to fast. Have you ever been in a situation that's so serious, that's so bad, that seems so um, uh, troubling that your appetite was lost. Now, even maybe when you've lost someone that was close to you, how, do you feel like eating? No. It's, it comes naturally sometimes that you don't want to eat. And it's often during these times that, that there's an intense emotion, that there's a great burden where you don't want to eat. So it even comes naturally in the flesh not to not want to eat. And the Bible says that it's during these intense times as well that you can say, I, don't, I choose not to eat, but to devote myself to the Lord, to give myself to seeking his face. It's hard sometimes when you're Italian. When we have funerals, the first thing mama wants to do and uh, an auntie wants to do is to shove food down your throat. You know, when, you, when you're in the middle of a, of a funeral and there's a, there's a wake... We call them mutti in Italian. And you're there with the family. There's always the aunties that want to feed you. Sometimes you don't get a choice. But I understand during those times, you don't feel like eating. So there's an example of this type of thing where something was so serious with the Ninevites, as I've mentioned already. God was about to destroy Nineveh, a city with thousands and thousands of people. And they believed the message. And they were so distraught by the message they chose not to eat. Until God said, I've turned my wrath away from you. The second type of fasting is when, one, when a saint restricts themselves from food in order to bring their bodies under subjection. And the Bible says that we had to bring our bodies under subjection to ourselves. The lust of the flesh... And the things our flesh desires, 
need to be kept under control. Sometimes hard in our generation. Sometimes hard in this society because we have so many things. There's coloured lights everywhere going off. There are billboards. There are, there's TV. There's every, everywhere you look, there are things enticing the flesh saying, come here. This is nice to have. That's nice to have. That's nice to have. So the flesh wants it all. The Bible says that we are, as Christians, to keep ourselves disciplined, to keep our bodies under subjection. Not to allow our emotions, our flesh, our desires to take precedence over our walk with the Lord. And sometimes it requires us to fast, to test ourselves, to see whether our flesh is taking the lead role here or whether our will is actually stronger than our flesh. The third type of fasting is when someone is seeking some special blessing from God to get something. To desire, they desire in their spirit something from the Lord. And the Bible says in, in, um, in Leviticus chapter 23 that there's, during the atonement, that the people desired to seek God's face. But this passage that Jesus is talking about, he starts off with a warning here. It says, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. He begins this warning about fasting the same way he began the warning about praying and about giving, being a hypocrite. Now, the heart of man, our hearts, mine and yours included, are so deceitful, it's so cunning, the flesh is so tempting. The devil is so wise and subtle that what he can do, he can actually take something that's meant to be good and turn it into something bad. You might say, what do you mean? Well, how can giving to the poor be turned from something that's good to something that's bad? When the Pharisees were showing off with it. When they would parade themselves and, and call everyone else in so everyone saw what they were doing. When it came to praying as well, they took something that was meant to be between them and the Lord and they would pray open and in public to show how wonderful they would speak in front of everyone, showing off. And once again, we see here now, how can fasting be turned into something bad? Well, the Bible says they would disfigure their faces. That one, or, one day or twice a day a week, they would fast on a particular day and they, would, they wouldn't wash their face. They'd come in and, they, and they'd say, Oh, I'm fasting. I'm fasting for the Lord. I haven't eaten all day. I'm really struggling over here. The heart is so deceitful that it can take something of virtue like fasting and prayer and giving and make them an outward sign of pride and ego. And make them, and make them an, a vehicle to show off, to boost up your own self. For the praises of men. Is it strange to you? It's not strange. It's common. Because the Bible says that even our own motives are so tainted when we do good things that we don't often see it. We're often caught ourselves when we're trying to do something good that we want recognition for it. 
How do you feel when someone, if you do something good for the church and someone next to you does something great for the church and they get recognised and you don't? How do you feel? Hurts, isn't it? We want to be recognised. The flesh wants to be praised. We struggle with that as Christians. When someone doesn't give us the attention that we want or we think we deserve, what's the first thing that, that, that comes to our mind? We want to complain. When something doesn't go the way we think it should go, what do we do? And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, the Bible says, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. So he compared himself to everyone else and thought he was better than everyone else. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as, as his publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Wonderful for you when you compare yourself to other men. How wonderful it is to lift yourself up before God. I wonder how God sees you when you compare yourself to other men. And start saying to God, I'm so much better than them. They should be more like me, God. Instead, fasting is a time when the heart should be brought low with humility before the Lord to seek him more fully. It's because I want to gain the praise of God, not the praise of men. When you do something good, Seek to do it without anyone's knowledge. So that the one who you really should be aiming for will give you the praise in the end. It becomes a means of gaining God's praise, not men's praise. Have you noticed the devil can counterfeit everything that God does? God sent his Christ into the world. The devil will send his antichrist into the world. God creates prayer that people may communicate with him and speak with him directly. The devil creates the antithesis of that. He creates something that looks like it but isn't really. The same thing with giving, the same thing with praying, the same thing with church, the same thing with God's word. The devil creates counterfeits everywhere. This is his ploy. He does it over and over again. You don't see it? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. We need to be a people of discernment. We need to be wise and understand the devil counterfeits everything in our lives. Everything that's good, he has something that looks like it, but isn't it. And same with fasting. This passage is not a, a lesson on fasting, but a warning. Beware. Don't get caught up. Don't be like a hypocrite. In other words, watch out for yourself because if you become a hypocrite, I will judge you. Pride is bad enough. God hates pride. When men lift themselves up and think there's something better than other men. But I'll tell you what God hates even more. God hates religious pride. He hates it. He finds it abhorrent. When men take the things that are related to him and then turn it into something that's evil. 
with the pretense that they're doing something good. God hates that. You will notice that during Jesus' ministry on this earth, who did he tell off the most? It was the religious leaders. It was the ones who thought they were doing good, but instead were counterfeiting what God had ordained. God hates pride, but God hates religious pride more than anything else. Pride and faith can't go together. That's why the Pharisees failed. True faith never lifts me up. True faith never lifts up the individual. True faith lifts him up and brings me low. Faith and pride do not go together. So when these fellows did their fasting and they would disfigure their faces, they were acting in front of people to receive their praise. Are we guilty of acting in our walk? How much acting do we do when you come to church? How much of your interaction with people is acting? You all look very spiritual to me on a Sunday. I'm sure I do too to you as well. How are we during the week when there is no, no eyes to watch us except for him? How spiritual are we then? Pharisees were guilty of this and we should never be guilty of it. On the opposite note, Jesus says, wash your face, comb your hair, hide the fact that you are fasting, that you're doing something good. Hide it as much as you possibly can. Don't publicise it. Keep it hidden. As much pain as you may be going through, as much as you may think like Elijah, I'm the only one who's doing this, God, I'm the only one who cares. Just do it. And allow God to work in your heart and in the hearts of those around you. I know sometimes we feel as if we're the only ones. Ever feel like that? No one else understands. I'm the only one who's going through this struggle. I'm the only one who really understands God's word. I'm the only one who applies myself in this way. That's not true. Get that thought out of your mind. Because the Bible says there is no temptation that has come to you, that has beset you, that is not common to man. There is no temptation that comes to the Christian that is not common to the people out there. The only difference is that they do it like drinking a glass of water. Nothing special about what comes our way. What's special is the way we, we are able to respond to it. The Pharisees didn't wash their face. They didn't comb their hair. They would look dishevelled to make out as if they were doing something great for God. They wanted to publicise in front of everyone, I'm fasting on this day. But just as their faces were broken, their hearts weren't. Their hearts weren't broken. God is concerned about the inward state, not the outward appearance. He doesn't care about the outward appearance, to be honest with you. He cares that it's first coming from the inside. And if it comes through to the outside, then so be it. But if you think that on the outside you can be performing good works, but on the inside your heart is the opposite, do you think God doesn't notice? Do you think God will not judge? 
Do you think he's not righteous or holy to see what you have hiding and lurking in here? Do you think it's hidden? I mean, I had a surgeon cut open my heart and work in it inside. And if a surgeon can see inside my heart, a mere mortal, what does God see in your heart? The nature of man is to please the flesh and not God, to worry more about the opinions of other men than the opinions of the Lord himself. Let me give you another angle on this. If the Lord rebukes, if the Lord condemns using fasting in the wrong way, do you think he'll condemn if we neglect it altogether? Do you think God is happy if we take something that he cherishes and says is holy and don't even do it at all, totally neglect it? I think he'll condemn that just as much as taking it and not doing it the right way. So it's something we need to seriously think about in our lives. The Bible says that verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They got their reward. Every admiration that the Pharisees were able to invoke in the hearts of people around them, look how wonderful he is. Look how, how, how strict he is with his own life. Look at the things he does for God. And their hearts were lifted up within themselves. They got what they, what they were looking for. And the Bible says that God wasn't going to give them anything else. They got everything they were looking for. They would not gain the praise of God because they'd already received the praise of men. The Bible says, though, to us, Be that, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou may appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. The purpose of fasting includes denying of yourself and bringing your body under subjection. It's to stir up the desire to pray and be closer to God. Prayer and fasting, as I've said, tend to go hand in hand. So when you fast, the idea is that you spend more time in prayer. Fasting is to bear witness of the humility and the contrition of your heart. It expresses an inward sorrow and a brokenness before God that you see things around you that just aren't right, and including in yourself. It's to admonish us of our guilt before him our uncleanness, the things that we fail with every day of our lives, to declare our unworthiness, but to praise him for his grace, to praise him for his love, his patience with us, his forgiveness of us. Fasting should be an outward sign of an inward desire. It is the opposite. Fasting is the opposite of feasting. Like that? That's thanks to pink, I think, that one over there. You know, you pink. It's not a duty. It's not a penance. You're not making up for your sins with fasting, and it should not be done ever for its own sake. It does not bring any merit onto your account with God. In other words, if I fast, I, I'm not obligating God to do anything for me. As if he owes me something. It should be spontaneous. It should come from a heart that's distressed, but not forced Turn with me to John chapter 4. I want to express to you the true heart of fasting, and it comes from our Lord. The Lord says, 
in John chapter 4, verse 30. And they went out of the city and came unto him, that's the Lord. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Has someone brought him food? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. This is the heart of fasting. Jesus didn't have to eat. His food was to do the will of God in his life. That was his meat. That was his food. That's what was his greatest desire. His desire wasn't to have a, a Sunday roast. The thing that, that came before that, the thing that came before any dainty or delicacy or food or any pleasures in this life was to do the will of God in his life. That was his greatest reward. The true heart of fasting is to do the will of God, is to want to please him. That's what it's all about. And we should attempt every temptation to be puffed up before other men for the things that we do. We should always do it with a heart that lifts up the Lord and brings ourselves down. Men, as I've said, look at the outward. You may look perfectly holy to everyone else. I may look perfectly holy to you. But God sees what's on the other side of that. God sees what's on the inside. And just as men can see the outward clearly, Jesus sees the inward clearly. As clear as the clearest day, Jesus can see the condition of your heart and the words and actions which flow from your heart. There is no place to hide. We can fool men. You might fool men for years and years and years. But God sees the heart. You can't fool him. That's why the scriptures say, keep thy heart with all diligence. Keep it with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is deceitful above all. But the Bible says, keep it, guard it, protect it. Because out of the heart proceed sins, proceed good things, bad things, and everything else. It's from the heart, the Bible says, are the issues of life. So when we fast, whatever we do in our lives, we are to do it for the one who sees all and for whom we have to do. And that's the conclusion of this matter. It says, And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. How does God reward those who fast in private, who seek his face, who do it with a broken heart because they see the walls have broken down. They see corruption everywhere. They see sin besetting people so easily. They see that their own state in a broken position. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. You don't have to read, don't have to turn there, but just if you want to write it down. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, first of all, that he exists, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If I'm diligently seeking him, what am I looking for? What prize am I looking for? What am I digging for? What am I trying to scale a mountain for? Gold? Recognition? 
What is it? What is it that God is willing to offer us as a reward? Let me, show, let me read something. Let you, let's turn here. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Bible says, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord speaking to Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I am thy reward. Not riches, not lands, not children. I am thy reward. This is the reward. Not anything else in this world. He is the reward. Sometimes we forget the greatest prize, the greatest treasure that we have is Jesus. Nothing else. He is the reward. He is the end in and of itself. Everything we do should be for him, to seek him, to know him more. As I mentioned before, if the Lord was critical of fasts being used for self-promotion, what will, it say? what will he say if we completely neglect something that godly men have done from the beginning? The true measure of whether we will or won't fast in our lives is simply this. It comes down to simply this. Is there something important enough to fast for? This is what it boils down to. Because if you don't think it's important enough, if an issue is important enough, you won't fast. So there are two things. Is there any issue that's worth fasting for in your life right now? And let me ask you a question. Is God not reward enough in your life to fast for? Are you that close to him? Is your relationship that strong with him? that there isn't something you need to fast about. Is there nothing that important to us that we will never fast? As David declared when he saw Goliath defying the armies of Israel and the God of heaven, and he approached the camp, and his brothers mocked him and said, what are you doing here? Go back and look after your sheep. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? David was the only one to see that this, this heathen, this man was defying the God of Israel and David was the only one to say, isn't anyone going to do anything about it? I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to go. A little boy was the only one to see that there was a cause. Let me ask you this morning, is there not a cause? Is it not a cause? Is everything in your life so well, so good? Is everything around you so perfect that there is not a cause for us, for you and I to fast and to pray 
Tiraram nem nem isso. How's your family? How's your church? How are the people in this world? Are they not worth crying and fasting for this morning? Let me ask you that question. Please take it away and answer it. If you can't answer it now, please answer it in your own time. Is there nothing worth fasting for in this life? Allow me to offer you some suggestions this morning and I'll leave the Spirit to deal with you in this manner. There are plenty of things to pray and to fast for. While you fast, you can pray for yourself because you need all the help you can get, just like me. Pray for strength, for wisdom, for guidance, for insight, for the love of God to flow in your life and through you. Pray that you would be a Christian of action, not just words. It's great to have everything up here, but if it doesn't flow through these things and in these feet, then what's it good for? That you would not only learn the perfect law of God, but that you would love the law and it would transform your heart from the inside out, that people would see the love of God in you. Pray and fast for sin in your life that you may be struggling with at the moment. I know many of you struggle with sin. And this is what we've been called to do. The difference, that, the difference between a Christian and someone who's not a Christian is that struggle. And if you think you're the only one who's struggling with sin, think again. God calls us to this fight every day. And we need to be supporting each other in that fight. But how much are you fighting for? Or have you laid down your weapons a long time ago and said, I'm giving up this fight, I can't do this? Pray for your sin. Pray that the Lord would keep you from sin and from hypocrisy that so easily besets us. Pray for your family. Pray for them to walk with the Lord. Pray for your children. Pray for your parents. Pray for your grandparents, your relatives. Pray for them all. Pray that the Lord would grant them a spirit of wisdom and knowledge of him. Let's get serious about our praying for our families. Pray for your church. Is this church perfect? It needs prayer. It desperately needs prayer. As I need your prayers. Pray for your church. Pray that it's everything that God wants it to be. Pray that we would give ourselves wholly and fully to serving in it. Because at the end of the day, we're not serving. I'm not serving you. At the end of the day, I'm serving the Lord. And if you're not serving in church, you're not serving. Who are you robbing? You think you're robbing me? You're robbing him of your time and your effort. Pray for your church. Pray that we would reach the lost. Pray that we would stand in unity as one body and not be torn apart as the devil tries to attack from every angle. Pray that we would show the love of God. Pray for your city, your nation. Pray that your community will be worked upon by the Holy Spirit of God that they might receive the gospel. Pray for our lawmakers. There's a lot to pray for. I could go on all day with the things we need to be praying for and being broken about. And I know my message has gone long today. 
Got to make five weeks worth, okay? Let me challenge you with making an effort to fast. Let me challenge you with that. Let me leave you with this. Moses went up a mountain. He fasted 40 days. And God revealed himself to Moses. He spoke to him face to face. Moses got his reward. And you know what happened to Moses when he died? No one knows. The Bible said God took care of it. Do you know what happened to Elijah? Elijah was on a mountain for 40 days. Sorry, Elijah walked for 40 days, got to the mountain, and God revealed himself to Elijah. You know what God did with Elijah at the end of his days? He sent a taxi from heaven to take him. He took him up. Jesus went up a mountain, you know something, and took three of his closest disciples. And the Bible says that there God revealed himself in him. He revealed himself through Christ. And do you know who was on his left and on his right? Moses and Elijah. You find that interesting? I do. The Bible says that there are only, and I've shared this with the people on a Wednesday night, there are only three times in history that God gave men miraculous powers on this earth to do amazing things. Three times. And you might think that a lot of the Bible's covered from beginning to end with miracles. Yeah, God does miracles. But there's only three times in the history of man that God has given his blessing upon certain men to do miracles for him. That were Moses. And he, his, his blessing continued to Joshua. It was Elijah, and his blessing continued to Elisha. And it, was the, and it was Jesus Christ himself who performed more miracles than everyone else. And his blessing continued to his apostles. Do you find that interesting? I do. Fast. Make a commitment to pray. And is there something worth fasting for in your life today? If the answer to that is yes, make that commitment. You don't have to start with a 40-day fast. But start and commit your heart to the Lord. Give him the glory. God bless you. Thank you.